Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. started um yeah i, I kind of felt a uh, i don't know if everybody kind of has like a burden on their heart if this we're just tired if people are i don't know have stuff going on um but uh, i got a sense from several people that people aren't all quite as chipper and cheery today so i feel like people have some stuff going on so i just want to pray um god we just thank you for your presence thank you for being here tonight um, we're excited to hear what um, what you have to say and um, just how you reveal yourself to us today in, in your word. Um, I just pray for each and every person here uh, just to be able to let go of whatever they have going on right now to just be able to focus on you. Because um, when, when we come before you, we want to just be able to focus on you um, and just be there at your feet and just to worship you and enjoy the time that we have with you. Yeah, help us to stay focused on you and let you be the one that it's all about. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <laughs> Alright, so we are in John 12 today. 12? 12. Stop it right now. Anybody remember, and you can look back at your notes or look back at 11. Anybody remember what we talked about during 11, what, what happened? We were outside during 11. We were outside. The last one. That was yeah. the last time we had this? Oh, it felt like years ago. Yeah. Jesus raising Lazarus. Oh, yeah. La- Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus. Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus. <laughs> Every time I hear Lazarus now, I just think of that video. Lazarus, that... come forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So, yeah, no, um, Lazarus. Wow. Lazarus. What is up with my brain? Lazarus. Um, Jesus raising him from the dead because he has authority over death. Um, whereas, like, there, you could tell Mary and Martha's faith went to the edge um, of, like, death. They were like, man, if you'd have been here, you'd have been able to heal him. But, like, obviously you don't have enough authority to raise him from the dead. But then him just being like, mic drop, come forth. But he came fifth and he won a toaster. I'm just kidding. It's, a, it's an old, it's a joke. Cool, yeah. We saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. That's why you need to stand. And that's why we need to stand. Just put it back in your case. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Just lay it against the cushions. It's good. Thank you. We're on the floor. That works too. Thank you. Um... Yeah, so we saw we saw what Jesus did with Lazarus. Um, cool. And we kind of saw Mar- Martha and Mary and kind of how they react to that as well. Um, we're going to see a little bit of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus here again, too, um, for a brief period of time in 12. Because, um, again, it's all a collective, um, you know, story. It's all a collective, you know, telling of what happened. Um, so, anybody want to start reading in 12... Um, First 11 verses, 1 through 11. Sure, I got it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. Hey, I said it right. <laughs> Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. 
For the poor you will you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Cool, thanks. What do you guys see going on here? At observation, surface level, or what's happening deeper? <clears throat> Anybody, anything? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, in verse 6, he talks about, um, it talks about Judas saying those things not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Mm -hmm. uh, which, if I recall correctly, when we were reading through this uh, last year, um, it made me realize, like, oh, snap. Like, he was not just the guy that betrayed Jesus. He was, like, doing shenanigans the entire time of following him. Um, which is pretty interesting. That's crazy, too, that one of the 12 who were the closest to Jesus, who Jesus allowed to be the closest to him, betrayed, not only betrayed him, you know, in a literal sense, like, sold Jesus to the Romans for, you know, a few coins, um, to, you know, be like, hey, here he is, arrest him. But he also, you know, stole from the disciples, and it was known, um, but, or you know, it may have been later that it was found out, but, you know, that it just goes to show that, you know, he's a person, you know, he's a human like us, um, he, he's a sinner like us, um, I can't speak if, if Judas is in heaven or hell right now, I, I can't say just based off of what we know about him, um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that, yeah, Latin, um, Judas, you know, did all those things, and he was one of the 12 closest people to Jesus. I don't know about you guys. I, I feel like the, uh, the leading priests had a pretty bad plan. I mean, it seemed like it worked for them, but if I just found out someone was just raised from the dead, and your first thought is, let's kill him again... And I feel like that's a pretty um, stupid plan because they're like, well, what if Jesus brings him back to life again? Like, I don't know, that's just my thought. Any other observations of what's going on here? He says it's what, 300 denarii, mm -hmm. right? It also is put as a year's, about a year's wage. Yeah, because a denarii is one day's wage. So... What I was just doing the math on was a denarii to shackles, which is like about three denarii to one shackle. And so he betrayed Jesus for about 90 denarii. So like less than a third of that. Just the quick mm. math. Interesting. Yeah. How do you guys see Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? How are, how are they all acting? They just had a pretty cool encounter with him in the previous chapter. How... What's going on with those three? What's Martha doing? <clears throat> huh. Serving dinner. She's serving. Mm -hmm. What about Mary? What's Mary up to? Anointing his feet. Yeah. Mary's down there worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Martha is serving. What's Lazarus up to? Just be chilling with him at the table. Yeah. Being alive. I have mm -hmm. a question. I'm sorry. I need, I need to interrupt, but I gotta I gotta ask. You guys all seen the office, or how, who's seen the office in here? <laughs> it says expensive ointment made of pure nard, and I couldn't help nard think of nard dog. The same. It's just it's super. Oh, is that Alright, so we see Martha serving, we see Mary worshiping, we see Lazarus just big chilling. Um, but what else is Lazarus inactively doing? Is there something else? You know, he's he's mentioned when what what is he mentioned? How is he mentioned here? 
in what regard? I mean, he's a walking testament mm-hmm. of the power of Jesus Perfect. at that point. Yep. Lazarus is a witness here. People came, it says that, in verse 9, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. He's a, he's a living testimony. He's a witness of the power of God, the power of Jesus. Uh, what, anybody remember what Lazarus said before this happened? Anybody remember what Lazarus will say later? Trick question. He doesn't say anything. Yeah. Lazarus, Lazarus is not recorded saying a single word in, in the Bible. Not that he's mute, but he's never recorded saying anything. And yet, verse 9 says, When all the people heard that Jesus is arriving, they flocked to see him and Lazarus. What did Lazarus say? That they're all so curious to come see him. Nothing. There's nothing about what Lazarus said. But he's still a witness. He's a witness by who he is. He is the man that Jesus raised from the dead. I think that's a I think that's a powerful reminder that, you know, we're witnesses too, right? We were all dead and now we're alive. We're alive in, in Christ. And we can be a witness too. Not by all, not just by our words, but also by who we are, by who we are in Christ. You're not a witness because of anything that you've done, but because of what he's done in you. I had somebody put it this way once, and this was TC back in the day. This was like 10 years ago, and it still stuck six with me today. He said, this was a youth leader um, at a church I used to go to. He said, if your life was a silent film, would anybody know that you're a Christian based off the way that you live? Not by your words, you know, just like Lazarus. We don't know anything that Lazarus has ever said in his entire life. There's not a single word of Lazarus's speech recorded in, in the Bible. We don't know what he ever said, if anything. But we know about him because of what Jesus did through him. If your life was a silent film, and someone were to watch a movie back of your life without any audio, without any words of what you're saying... Would anyone be able to tell that you follow Christ based off of your actions? Are you going to look like everybody else out there? Or are you going to be set apart? Are you going to be, you know, seen serving? Are you going to be seen worshiping? Are you going to be seen testifying? Are you going to be seen just drinking and partying like everybody else? And just going about life and just working and... You know, watching TV and eating and that's your life? Or if it was a silent film, would you be able to tell any difference? Alright, so what what about Mary here? Right? She's seems a pretty seems a pretty uh bit excessive, right? She just poured out a year's worth of salary worth of perfume and is cleaning Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. Not a towel, not a, a dirty rag, her hair. So it was, it was common for when a guest entered your house to um, you know, wash their feet or offer them water to wash their feet. You know, they didn't like wash their hands as a sanitation thing, but they wash their feet because their feet are dirty from all the traveling. And then also to put a little drop of oil on their head to anoint them. But instead she goes, no, no, I'm not going to anoint a little drop on his head. I'm going to pour this whole thing out on his feet. And then she wipes it with her hair. How much more humble does it get like that? What does it say about Mary?
feel like we all need to like, get up and do some jumping jacks, run around the building, like run around the house. Man, everyone's so quiet today. What does it say about Mary? What do her actions show here? I think to your point, it shows the humility. And just the... The... I, yeah, I can't imagine the humility that it takes to... We know who Jesus is now, but they didn't even know who Jesus was then. Mm-hmm. And like we... I say we know who Jesus is because like... We, we know the end result. But Mary's faith and her confidence and her knowing that he's, he's worth every moment that she can get with him. Yeah. I think she also saw it as like, this stuff, that just one drop is enough to anoint someone you know, on their head. She's like, the best of the best and all of the best is hardly enough to wash his feet with. And it just goes to show, I think, kind of like, you know, the upside down kingdom, you know, where it's like, you know, everything that you let go of here, you'll gain in heaven, and everything you hold on to here, you'll lose. But it's like, the streets of heaven are made out of gold, like pure 100% gold. And it's like, the best stuff of here on earth, the best of the best, is what you walk on in heaven. Because that's like, that's the least valuable, that's the least of your concern in heaven, of gold. You're like, Oh yeah, that's just the, that's just what we walk on. And I think it's kind of like a, a similar picture here, of like the best of the best. Like one drop is enough to anoint your head to the, to the guest. She's like, all of it is hardly enough to be worth washing his feet with because it's he's just that worth it. I don't know if it's in relation to this story or if it's a different moment, but there's a song, Alabaster Jar mm-hmm. by Gateway Worship. And some of the lyrics speak exactly to what you're talking about right now. It says, This alabaster jar is all I have of worth. I break it at your feet, Lord, it's less than you deserve. You're far more beautiful, more precious than the oil, the sum of my desires and the fullness of my joy. Like you spilled your blood, I spilled my heart as an offering. Here I am, take me, take me. Um, and then later, oh Lord, you're worthy. And it just repeats it over and over and over again. You're worthy, worthy is the Lord. Glory is the Lord. Worthy, worthy, you're worthy. Um, and I think that like, that speaks to exactly the point that you just made in terms of her pouring out everything that would be of worth to her by society standards, cultural standards. I mean, as a woman, to have that expensive, like... <clears throat> of a thing that she could potentially barter with to continue to support herself if that was her means of like I don't know like we we don't know but you can only imagine having something of that much worth you would want to naturally like hold on to it savor it Mm -hmm. spend it wisely use it wisely or whatever it is and for her to essentially break it at Jesus's feet and be like no you're worth more than everything that I've earned this year. Like, yeah. how many of us can say, like, okay, I'm going to give up my whole this year's salary for X cause because either God told me to or whatever. Like, there, I feel like a lot of people might have some conversations with God about like that. Like, are you sure? Are you sure that you want me to do that? Like, questioning it. But no, for Mary, it was like not even a... Yeah, and it wasn't consideration. It wasn't even an ask of him. Right, right. And go ahead. Yeah, no. To your point, it's not like. I feel like, we, I, I'm gonna say speak for myself. I feel like if I were to do that and I were to give an entire year's salary, I'd be like, all right, like that does something that like is is something good that I did that I can kind of sit back on. But Mary isn't doing that. Mary is like, this is, to your point, like, for his feet, this is nothing. Like, my, however many, like, when you think of, like, years wages, like, let's go with the median average of $59,000 for the United States of America. My $59,000, it's not like it's, it's not like it's going to, like, the things that you would think it would go to in a church program. Like, it's not going to 
children in Africa or uh, or orphanages or something like that. It's going to like the least of the least of the quote-unquote important things like for Jesus' feet, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like that's just what the, that speaks to me. Yeah. And now when she's doing that, um, it says in verse 3, the house was filled with the fragrance. And I think it just says that when we worship, there's a certain fragrance that's like brought about. There's yeah. a certain aroma that fills the air. You'd assume it'd be better than like middle schoolers with Axe body spray or something. <laughs> Um, in my filament app, um, has a comment about Mary, like anointing Jesus' feet, saying that doing so was not awkward because Jews reclined at formal meals, but it was certainly a dramatic gesture. And it gives a cross-reference of like Matthew 26, 6 through 16, and Mark 14, 3 through 9. And it also talks about what nard is. A precious um, spice imported from North India. It is sweet, red, and smelled like Gladiola perfume. I don't even know what that is. Um, and um, yeah, twelve ounces of nard cost a year's wages. Um, and according to Mark, um, Mary also anointed Jesus' head. In Mark fourteen three, and the perfume ran down and scented his garments, um, and her hair. Uh, women never un unveiled and revealed their hair in public, uh, but Mary was acting with a extravagant abandon and abandon. devotion um, to to Jesus at that point. So, you know, she was like giving it her all because yeah. he deserves the glory. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. Let's go on um, from 12 through 19. There's a lot of stuff. John 12 is pretty long. Um, I don't know if we'll get through it all, but everyone read John 12, um, verse 12 through 19. I can read it. Go for it. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd was that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Awesome. Thanks. Observations? What do you guys see going on? Verse 19, the very last thing is, look how the whole world has gone after him. I think that's interesting word choice, like, because clearly that's not the whole world, but, like, actually he came to save the whole world, you know? I just like that. Hmm. How he said, look how the whole world has gone after him. I think that kind of shows how shallow the Pharisees are, though, because that's <coughs> their whole world. Mm. These are the people that would look up to them True. and consider them God and come to them for all their answers. That's a good point. And so for them, this is their whole world. Yeah. It's crazy to think that, uh, I don't know, five days, seven days, however many days from this triumphant entry which is the title the head title for this in, in my translation is the crucifixion Four and all later. of these people 
that are praising and blessing him and waving palm branches and hailing him as king and all these things are the same ones in the crowd yelling for him to die. Like, mm -hmm. it's hard for me. Like, I love the triumphant entry because this is, like, Jesus's realization in a way for a lot of these people um, that he is who he said he was. He is the Messiah King come to come to die. And so it's always that second part that gets me like, how can these people that are praising him for who he is turn around and crucify him for who he is just four days later? Like, what? Um, and yet, like, that's humanity. Like, we've Who's to say I wouldn't have been in that crowd? Like, we can't. No, we can't really say. I mean, I, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just it's just wild to think about, like, four days, four short days from this point, and they're yelling for him to be crucified. Like, it's just wild. It just goes to show how easy it is to stick with the crowd. Mm. Everyone, here he is. Everyone's yelling... Hosanna, Hosanna, praise God. And Hosanna means save us. And they're saying, like, they're, they're recognizing who he is. Like, hail the king of Israel. And they're laying down palms in front of him. And the symbolism, the prophecy of the Messiah will come riding on a donkey. And all these things. And I think about the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Like, mm -hmm. as, as he's carrying, as Jesus is carrying his cross... He has, you know, like in the movie, they depict him had like a flashback to just a few days before of everyone laying down and cheering for him, laying down palms, everybody welcoming him, and then phew, back to reality, he's carrying a cross, and people are yelling, crucify him, and they hate him um, in just four days' time. There is so much going on here in these few verses. I heard like an entire like hour-long sermon just on like these verses. There is so much happening from... You know, everything from the comparison of when, uh, like, a ruler would come in, someone coming in, um, they would come in on a horse, they would come in triumphant, and they would come in, like, I'm going to reign over you. And Jesus totally could have done that. But instead, um, he comes in on a donkey, which was prophesied many years ago. Um, and um, other kings would do that, other rulers would come in riding on a donkey as a sign of peace, of... Hey, I'm not coming in here to rule you guys. I'm in here to, you know, make peace with you all. And they would come in right on a donkey and they would they'd be recognized as, oh, this ruler's coming in on a donkey. Okay, there's peace to come. And that's what Jesus is doing here. I'm, I'm coming in on a donkey and there's peace to come. Um, it can be found to the exact day of when Jesus would have entered um, even like thousand years before from um, was it Zechariah, I believe Zechariah was the reference. Uh, yeah, Zechariah nine nine. Um, but the the prophecy of saying that Jesus would come riding in on a donkey, um, when you, I didn't look into all the math, um, but the math pointed to the whole prophecy of the seven times seventy and seven times seven times and of how many weeks that would be. Um, and then it points down to this exact day um, of, of, when they, of when that was prophesied. So like a thousand years before, however many hundred years before, it was prophesied to the exact day, which was, and it said it on here, um, chapter 12, six days before the Passover celebration, and then this is the next day. So this is the 10th of Nisan, which I looked into on the Jewish calendar, or for us, April 6th in the year 32 AD. Um, so is it like Ultima or Maxima? No. Tenth is Nissan. Oh, okay. With one S. Okay. Um, so, alright, another crazy correlation here. This is the same day that people would get their lamb. The same day that people would get their lamb, that in a few days they'll sacrifice during Passover. And during that period of time... They would get a lamb, they would go out and choose one, they would, you know, uh, here's, here's the one we get. And they keep the lamb with them, with their family for four days. They get it inspected. Kids might play with it. Um, but for four days, the lamb would be inspected and kept around. 
And then you'd sacrifice that lamb that you just had four days with. Jesus is the lamb of God. And he's coming in for four days. The exact day that they would pick their lamb is the day that Jesus came in riding on a donkey. And now he gets to be here in Bethlehem and in, in Bethany um, being inspected by the people for four days. And then he would die on the, on the day when the lambs would be sacrificed. Um, just a fun fact for um, any other math nerds out there. Um, it was estimated to be about 250,000 lambs that would be sacrificed around this time each year. A quarter of a million lambs. Um, one lamb was enough for a family of about 10 people. So that's 2.5 million people. Um, but anyway, quarter quarter of a million lambs each year. Um, but anyway. Sounds um, delicious. <laughs> yeah. Man, so much going on here. The, the, the prophecies that led up to this exact moment, um, all the symbolism, the everything. And the, yeah, the fact that they're here welcoming him, praising him, cheering for him. Because the crowd's all there, and then four days later, the same people are yelling, crucify him. Do you guys see any correlation of that into modern day, maybe Christians? Maybe not, ours, maybe not yourself particularly, maybe, maybe so, but just modern day, um, maybe the church. Or people in general. Kind of similar to uh, to um, Jesus. Um, who did I mean? Peter? No. Thomas. Peter. 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 Yeah. Peter died. Right. And Saying I'll Peter. I'll never deny you. Right. You know you're in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. You're in the presence of Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I'll, I'll never deny you. You know. We're in church on a Sunday, and ooh, church is great. And then you get to work on Monday, and um, you know whatever people talking about things, or you know you hear someone mention something about God, and you know maybe someone bashing God, and hear an atheist say like, "Oh yeah, like you know there's no God," and maybe you just kind of recline and don't say anything. Might not be true for anybody here, um, but. I think it's just kind of. I think it's a similar aspect of people, in general, of this welcoming God, welcoming Jesus, and then crucify him four days later. Any other thoughts so far before we move on? Cool. Verse twenty. Anybody want to start reading? I'll start reading. Jesus predicts his death. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for this life, for their life in this world, will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard this voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will, cast, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. 
The scripture responded, uh, the crowd responded, We understood from scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? Jesus replied, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. From them. Thoughts? There's an interesting analogy there about the kernels. I know everyone's going to speak at once, but feel free, someone can start first. It's interesting, it says, they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. But it doesn't say what they asked Jesus. It doesn't say how the conversation started. The next phrase is, Jesus replied. And it's him, and it's him speaking. So, I don't know, I'm just, I would have to wonder, like, what did they what did they ask that prompted Jesus to give this account of now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory? Like what preceded that? Um, I don't know. Interesting yeah. to interesting to think about. Or if Jesus agreed, if they asked him like, Hey Jesus, can these people meet you? Or if and he just is replying this to them, or right. if he went to those people and is telling them this. heard a sermon by Judas Smith about this, like, what does it mean to lose your life, and with this verse being, like, the basis of it, and I cannot even recall the majority of what it said, but I remember that it was, um, it was a good sermon, but it makes me want to go back and listen to it again, um, because this concept of, like, those who love their life in this world will lose it, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity, like, What? <laughs> like on surface level, it makes sense, and I can. But what does that mean on a practical day-to-day -day basis for me to lose my life every day in pursuit of like caring nothing for it and yet keeping it in heaven for yeah. eternity? Interesting. I think I think the analogy of the kernel kind of maybe partly answers that, but yet it's hard to put into a an exact practical way, I guess. Right. Um, because he's saying just like a, a plant has to die to itself to produce more, you know, like you have, you have a piece of corn, right, a, a whole, you know, bushel, bushel, corn on the cob, whatever it is. Each kernel has the potential to create more of itself, but only if it dies, only if it dies to itself. It has to die, it has to be buried, and then it can produce more fruit. It can produce more of the same, the same as us. You know, you have to die to yourself. Jesus is dying to himself, being buried, and then produce more. It will multiply. And it also kind of goes to show how discipleship and Christianity should work. You know, one kernel can produce a whole ear of corn, which has, I don't know how many hundreds of kernels, which then all of those, if all of those produced one, you know, drop them and die to themselves, then they can, you know, multiply. You can go from, like, one piece of corn to a whole field, like, in a, in a few harvests. So they audibly heard a voice from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. What a mic drop moment. Yeah. Like a, just a power statement of like, yeah, and it was in response to Jesus too, in a, right, is what preceded that because he says, 
Father, bring glory to your name. And then the voice speaks and says, the voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought, like answering the, the comment that Jesus had just made. Yeah. And just. But yet it wasn't really, it wasn't for Jesus. No, this wasn't right. for me. It was this for you guys. Yeah, for their benefit. And I like just, wow. I can't even imagine what I would, you guys know how scared I get just generally. But like if I heard an audible clap of thunder that came from heaven, like. I believe this is the third time an audible voice from heaven had happened. I believe it was also during Jesus' um, uh, baptism and during the transfiguration and then here as well. I think maybe um, it says like, you know, some said it had thunder and others said it would have spoken. What if the ones that said it thundered didn't actually hear it? speaking. Yeah, they could have either been in denial or maybe those who didn't have ears to listen or who wouldn't, who would have hardened hearts couldn't hear them. I'm not sure. Yeah, because he says this voice was for your benefit, not mine. He didn't say these words. You know what I'm saying? So like, what if they couldn't hear the words and they just heard the sound and Jesus like this is the voice because he said this voice was for your benefit not these words were for your benefit because I mean those are heavy words but um that's just like you know none of that said it doesn't say anything about that I'm just kind of <laughs> making that up but <clears throat> maybe it's like that whole like spirit recognizing well the spirit wasn't there yet but like God was there so Maybe like God helped people recognize it, that it recognized that it was his voice. You know, and other people were like, eh, what was that? And that was thunder, you know. I don't know. Hmm. I'm kind of making this all in my head. <laughs> so let's get into that here. The unbelief of people. Let's let's finish John twelve. Somebody wanna take it, um, either finish it off or um, just read half of this last section. Verse thirty seven. I can finish it. Go for it. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who has sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Awesome. So what does this tell us about people's unbelief? Or what are your thoughts about verse 40? The Lord blinds, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so their eyes cannot see, their hearts cannot understand. You know, God's not just playing any, meeny, miny, mo, going like, all right, and you won't believe me. You won't see me, even though I'll uh, come to you. You know, those who don't want to see, those who don't want to hear, those who don't want to believe, he's hardening it. He's saying, all right, you don't want to see me? It's going to be even harder for you to see me now because you don't want to see me. 
You don't want to hear the words that I say? Let's make it harder for you to stop hearing them or to be able to hear them. That almost brings a question to mind. I'm curious of your guys' thoughts because this question just came to mind. If that's the way it works, if, if God blinds the eyes of those who don't want to see and hardens the hearts of those who don't want to believe. If I think to myself, or if any of you think to yourself, man, I haven't heard God in a while, I haven't seen God in a while, I haven't felt God in a while. I wonder if that has anything to do with us. If that's if that's a, a heart problem on our on our side, not of God not showing up, but of if I'm not looking for God, maybe that's not maybe that's why He's not revealing Himself to me. If I'm not looking for God, maybe that's why I can't see Him. If I'm not listening to God, maybe that's why I can't hear Him. I'm not saying that's always the case. Um, or if oh you haven't heard Him in in a little bit, you know. I'm not saying like, oh, you're not pursuing him. I'm just, I'm just curious. What are you guys' thoughts about that? That sounds about right. I mean, he says, uh, the Bible says if you seek him, like, he'll reveal himself to you. Like, if you're actually looking. Uh-huh. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be open. I did this um, like discipleship thing at the Brazilian church I used to go to, and it was really cool that like, um, in a lot of things that we studied and learned about, um, it would always say that. know God is always doing something he's always up to something and it's up to us to basically join him in that and what his works are and we'll we'll like have him you know reveal things to us or like guide us in things Um, but it's our decision to open up our eyes and and join him in things he's always doing something yeah um and we are the ones who decide to you know kind of step away or take a break or you know go just think that we can go with our daily lives of doing whatever through our own strength but when we join him in what he's already doing um we'll see that he's he's speaking he's revealing He's moving mountains. He's doing things. Yeah. There's this song I recently really got into, or maybe just started recently hearing. Um, it's called God is Doing Something. And it's like, and maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just play it. I'm not going to try to sing it. But it's like, God is doing something. You know, right, like right now, God is moving mountains. God is healing people God is um, I don't know but it just re- keeps digging in right now and it's like God is doing something right now God is healing someone right now um, and just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening doesn't mean it's not moving it's just like a way maker mm-hmm. even when I can't see it yeah you're working mm-hmm yeah, to Zachary's point, like, and your point, your main point, um, I think it's very, not just speaking in, like, a biblical sense, but I think for myself personally, we are, I (laughs) have been very good at speaking something and believing it and, and turning my own eyes away from something that I am involved in or something that I'm doing and just rationalizing it to myself regardless of what anybody tells me but because I've rationalized it it's fine and I'm good until you hit a wall or you hit a breaking point 
and you have a wake-up call and it's like looking back on those things that I rationalized or the way I rationalized the situation or my actions or whatever I'm like wow how absolutely stupid was that like how dumb was I to say those things about myself and just completely blind to what I was doing or the impact that you know it was having whatever that choice was or action was the impact that it was having on me emotionally spiritually physically whatever it was and so I think same idea applies to our relationship with God like we can rationalize ourselves out of spending time with him because I go to church because I serve every second Saturday of the month because I am um you know I'm kind I'm a good person I'm you know I don't murder people I don't I follow the Ten Commandments I'm you know I'm it's easy to put those things you know make our faith become about those things Mm -hmm. rather than making our faith about the one who saved us and like really getting to know this Jesus really getting to know this God and rationalizing rationalizing it to ourselves um I think it's super easy to do that and it's super easy to be a lukewarm Christian who does that um and you know I can testify to that like that's been my history at points in time um you know and in some seasons or in some times I still get this feeling like am I really on fire for God in those ways all the ways that I want to be or think that I am you know you have those thoughts or whatever it is but I'm kind of going down a bunny hole now anyway um but does that make sense yeah okay great (laughs) we'll end it there (laughs) no explain again any final thoughts overall either a overall takeaway or um, any final thoughts being here with us. Uh, Ask that uh, you continue to help us to keep our eyes open, our hearts open, um, and our ears open to you, God, to be able to see you and hear you and um, to, to feel you, to interact with you on a daily basis, to not let a day go by when we don't interact with you, to not let an hour go by when we don't interact with you, to not let a moment pass be able to show your love to someone, um, to be able to spread your gospel. God, help us to just be able to to be like these examples that we see, to be uh, like Mary who chooses to worship at your feet, to be like Martha who still chooses to serve, to be like Lazarus who is a witness uh, of what you've done in his life. Help us to be able to be more like you every day because that's what you've called us to do. I just ask for blessings over everybody to keep us all safe. Um, Yeah, and just to continue um, loving you and loving people because that's really all it boils down to. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.